I think that that's probably where a lot of businesses honestly fail is that they're so desperately trying to figure out what the solution could potentially be that they've never even asked themselves what the true problem is. Are we even asking the right questions when it comes to our business? Like we assume that the problem is one thing, but we haven't even really done the analysis to identify what is tanking right now. to tell you a story about how I could see the future and how revolutionary and forward-thinking I was. I'm not. I'm actually really conservative when it comes to certain things. I'm just not so married and attached to the past that I can't see opportunity knocking at the door, screaming at the door, right? So people don't know this, but uh, as uh, in my last semester at Art Center, I took a class in animation. And my teacher was a woman named Linda and she taught After Effects. And Linda was an okay teacher. She wasn't blown my mind. And Linda went off and then did her own thing. And she wrote a couple of books on web design and started hosting conferences out in Ojai. And she started to build this company and they started to realize that uh, people couldn't travel to their location and wanted to and then produce things on disk. But then the big breakthrough was like, let's put this on the internet. At a time when probably the, the broadband connection wasn't great for everybody and compression uh, ratios and algorithms were terrible, but they're out ahead. And yes, if you're thinking, is that that same Linda of lynda.com? Yeah, she was my teacher at Art Center. And fast forward a few years, uh, she has, I think at one point, uh, when I when I knew about this, over 250 editors working for a full time in this giant facility. I'm like 250 editors like movie studios don't have 250 editors working for them. And she sold her company for one point seven billion dollars to LinkedIn. And this was happening in the middle of all of this stuff. And we're seeing uh, other uh portals for education popping up. So it's not like, hey man, I've got this idea no one's seen before. Not at all. It's like everywhere. Only if we stop digging this hole in in this kind of traditional brick and mortar school system where tuition is unreasonably high. And so all I was doing was reporting from the field. And sometimes, and I'll say it like this, Uh, people in academic institutions have been so far removed from reality that they live in the ivory tower and they don't really have to worry about what it means to survive on your ability to sell and the actual market data. It's actually much preferable for them to stay inside that bubble. You don't have to look at reality. And so that's what happened. Uh, Some of them who came to my office who were, I think, earnest in their desire and curiosity, but also... I get it. In large organizations, no one's responsible or everyone's responsible. So no one's responsible. Why make more trouble for yourself? If it goes wrong, you get blamed. If it goes right, everyone takes credit. So what's the point? And so you'll see in large organizations that have been um, part of the board of directors in one of these companies, it's very hard to do anything slightly different. Forget about innovative slightly different. So no one does anything and they move 
uh, at a glacial pace. And I don't, I don't live and work that way. Interesting thing was one of the people who attended that meeting, she told me later on, she says, you know what? The best thing that ever happened to you was he said, no, because could you imagine today working with them and how you'd want to kill yourself? Yeah, I guess that was the best thing. But you know, there is some little part of me uh, that is this young immigrant kid who never got anything and was picked on and, and always felt like an outsider, that that feels really familiar to me. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Just watch me. You'll see. And I'm really driven by that too. Like if I needed more fuel, that was what, it, that was it. I'm going to do this thing. So yeah, there was doubt coming from internal management teams. Uh, it was, there was doubt coming from creative people on my team. Uh, doubt from my coach who was like, I don't know why you would be doing this. This seems really silly. Uh, from, from institutions that I was trying to help. There was a lot of doubt. But you know, one of the, the moments that to me really cemented it was uh, this moment when I'm, I'm talking to my wife at the dinner table. My wife's name is Jessie, by the way. And we're sitting there and she's like, what do you need, honey? I said, you know, I, I need to raise some money. Because at that point in time, I think um, it's like 2015, 2016, we're, we're barely even cracking six figures as a whole company. It doesn't even make sense. It's not even enough to pay my salary. And I said, I need to raise money. She goes, why do you need to raise money? What do you need money for? Well, I got to buy gear. I got to hire people. And she goes, okay, like how much money do you think you need? I said, I don't know, somewhere between half a million to a million dollars. That wasn't really based on any data. It's just those numbers sound round and nice and gives me a lot of runway to do stuff, right? And she says, here's the thing, like, I don't like the idea of you going around and asking for money. We have money. Why don't we just pull out the money in the market and our savings and you have access to all of it. And you have to understand something about my wife. Uh, she's Taiwanese, right? Born in Taiwan, born and raised. And her level for discomfort is very small. Her tolerance for risk is really, really small. She needs huge amount of runway saving on top of saving and 401k plans on top of that for her to feel comfortable and secure. And at this very, this dinner table where she's telling me it's just her and I, she's looking into my eyes and saying, take all the money we have, do whatever it is that you want, because I can see how important this is to you. I don't see the vision necessarily, but I see how you light up. And that was such a vote of confidence for me. Not that I needed it from her, but I definitely didn't need to be fighting two battles. And that was the last barrier for me. I was like, that's it. I'm going all in on this. I'm doing it. She just gave me the green light. And so with that, one of the things that we, we uh, want to talk about is when you are in that, that really dark place where you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I think one of the things you need to know is from the most important person in your life, in your life. It could be your, 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 your partner who you're married to a brother, a sister, a cousin, uh, a parent, whoever, if you need them to be in your corner, it would be good to know that they won't be fighting you the entire process before you begin this journey. If you want to dig in and have this five to 10 year plan, you need to, I think a have some level of mastery, some core competency that you've built up. You can define what that is. 
up to you. We suggest it's going to take anywhere between five to 10 years of doing a singular thing to be at least competent towards mastery, right? Like some level of mastery. Number two, you need to have a plan. You need to give yourself a timetable with controls, like how much money and resources you're willing to invest in. This is really important. When you drive in a car, you have controls. There's um, a speedometer that tells you how fast you're going and you have street signs tell you at this turn, it's really sharp, so you need to slow down. So the sign and your speedometer tell you how to control your car. You have a steering wheel to keep you in your lane and you have guardrails to keep you from driving off the cliff and you even have um, these little bumps uh, on the road that when your tires cross, they make a certain sound. Those are all controls. Here's the thing. A lot of us jump into whatever it is we're doing. It's nighttime. We have no lights. We have no instrument to tell us. We have no idea how far we're going. We have no GPS. We just hit the accelerator and we have no idea. That can be very scary. That kind of level of risk and lack of planning uh, probably is the thing that leads to failure more than anything else. So you have what you can commit to reasonably and say, if I don't have empirical data that tells me I'm on the right path, at some point I have to stop because then that's insanity. You're now trapped in that loop where it's not working, so you keep doing everything you can to make it work so you can get your money back out, and it's not going to. You have to learn to cut your losses. I think if there's some, someone significant in your life, you don't necessarily need them to support you, but I do think you need at least their agreement that you're going to do this thing so they're not going to be fighting you and questioning you every single part of the way because it's going to be difficult enough without their input, without their questioning, without you having to justify the decisions that you made. And you know, I got to tell you something. Uh, that decision was made, um, I think, somewhere around 2016. And despite my wife freeing up all the money and saying it's ready for you whenever you need it, haven't used any of it. It was just a gesture and it was a huge gesture to me. Back over to you, Nitty. Yeah, I mean, the buy-in, Chris, I think is 100% necessary. And it was a conversation that my husband and I had to have when I decided to become an entrepreneur as well. Because I like, and, and even going in on Clubhouse or doing, you know, the social media stuff I'm doing right now, we had to have a very real conversation around how many hours it was going to take to invest and to really build and commit to this. And, you know, with, with social audio, for example, there was such an opportunity that it made sense to be spending 20, 25 hours hosting content and joining other people on this, on, you know, on their stages. And so, you know, had we not had that conversation and that communication ahead of time, though, it would have been really easy uh, for, you know, there to be resentment or some level of disconnection um, because you just haven't gotten the buy-in and then it's unfair to the other person who committed to you, um, you know, to be your partner, but perhaps didn't sign up for what that was truly going to mean uh, when you're really going all in on something. So I, that resonated very deeply and it doesn't make it any easier. I, you know, I think we could probably both attest to that, you know, many hours that we spend away from our families, but it ends up being worth it because you see the impact that you're able to make and that they also are supportive um, because they see the passion and how excited 
you know, we all get when we're doing something that's in alignment. So um, that makes complete sense to me. Um, and the guardrails was the other thing I wanted to, to reemphasize because I think so often, you know, we just, we want, we think that it's a failure to pull back at some point when something is clearly not working and our ego gets in the way. And our pride gets in the way and we make poor decisions because we think it's a reflection of whether we, um, you know, have the the courage to persevere. But as we've had the discussion throughout this um, t- throughout this evening, you know, if if the data is showing you otherwise, please pivot at that point in time. Right. Like if you are not having success, then you have to make something different and don't allow your ego and your pride to get in the way of you, uh, you know, overspending, going into debt borrowing from people and ultimately being miserable in your day-to-day life and resentful towards your business. So I just appreciated that you added that in, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I did find the data for uh, the, the company and the revenue. So to put things into context so you can understand the amount of resistance I was facing, uh, because a lot of you are like, well, why would people say crazy things to you knowing that this was going to work out? Well, it's not clear that it works out. And if it were clear, it wouldn't be a risk and everybody would be doing it. Hence, back to my theme, it's supposed to be hard, right? Um, So to let you know, for the majority of the time in which I ran blind, which was from 1995 until I guess it stopped being active in 2018, end of 2018, right? That we did somewhere between four to five million dollars every single year. So easily an $80 million company, probably more than that. And so that's what all the people in the company are looking at. We're walking away from a four and a half million dollar uh, machine that can just crank on this for as long as it can crank on it. So let's put that in context in reference to what the future, aka the school, was doing. The school is the original name until Jose and I split up as partners. And we can talk about that in a little bit if we want to. In 2014, after running the business for an entire year, we grossed, gross not profited, $15,000. $15,000. And so you can see anybody that's looking at this, they're going to say, well, there's a $4.5 million company, and you're saying you're going to dedicate all your time to this other company that's going to make you $15,000. And I do want to explain a little bit after I reveal the numbers to you what the heck I'm thinking here. In 2015... Full year of running the business. We're learning. We're growing by 300%. It's also a remarkable growth curve. We earn a whopping $42,000 a year. To put that in context, the lowest paid employee that I hire at Blind makes more money in their annual salary than we made as an entire company. So again, if you were to say, Chris, walk away from this company to earn $42,000, it doesn't make sense to anybody looking at the data. In 2016, we do 144,000, growing 3x. Uh, Jose and I, we hit a point where we can no longer uh, coexist as as uh, CEOs and partners in a company, so we split. I take over the company. We reincorporate a new name, the future. He walks away with 50% of his assets. I walk away with 50% of my assets, and we part amicably. We're still friends today, but we're not business partners anymore. In 2017, we gross now 300, 300% more than we did the previous year. We do $536,000 in revenue. It's starting to look like a real company right now. Uh, and also to put that in context, in one job from one of our great clients, like a video game manufacturer, 
the budget for one of those projects is $400,000 for one project. So again, working on an entire year, everything I got with a very small team, we still can only barely gross what one commercial job pays us. There's no exaggeration there. I'm telling you the job was $400,000, okay? And if we keep going, if we keep going here, you'll see like where this makes sense. In 2018, uh, we grossed $1.78 million, not enough yet to pay for the building and all of our team. Our overhead is ridiculously high because we used to make commercials for a living. But it's in 2018, during a management meeting, that the person who's right next to you, Nitty, Matthew Encina, after I talk about how we have to get more sales for blind while I'm working on the future, Matt says, hey, Chris, uh, wouldn't it be better if we all just focused on building the future? And he made a very valid point. He's like, when we make something for the future, it, it is literally for our future because it's IP that we're building. Uh, there is some predictable income. And if we use all the collective intelligence of our team and focus on building this, don't you think we can get there? And he really did challenge me. And before I was talking about leadership, I'm not the kind of leader where somebody can throw out a radical idea that may directly oppose what it is I'm talking about, which he did at that time. I took a second. I said, you know what? You're right. Let's make this commitment then. That moving forward, this is the last commercial work we do for a client ever again. Now we have no choice but to succeed. And we have to get this thing in the millions, the multiple millions for us to even make it make sense. And December of 2018 was the last time we took on any new client work. So blind at this point is just fulfilling old obligations and no longer taking any work. And that leads us to, uh, what is it now, uh, 2019 we do $3.1 million. Okay, so I promise I would step back and try to explain to you because it seems like I'm doing what I caution Mo against doing. Where Mo has a successful business, he's starting to make real traction, and he's now distracted by what he believes to be a quicker, easier way to make money. There are some sharp differences here. One is I've already spent the better part of two decades running a certain type of company and I think I squeezed everything there is to squeeze out of it. It's like that idea, like you get a lemon, you squeeze all the juice out of that before you cut another lemon. My immigrant mentality, right? And I can see that the trend lines are moving in the wrong direction. They're flattening and they're tre trending downwards as far as I can see. And I'm seeing potential here, but this is not the easy way to make money. There's nothing sexy about building an education company and trying to build an entirely new product and way of marketing that we don't even understand. So this was by no means a get-rich-quick scheme. This was a get-poor-slow scheme. And we're just trying to minimize our losses while we build up the audience. And that's what we did. We kept plugging away at it day after day, month after month, year after year. It took us over two years to get 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. Two years of making content to get that. Some days we get that in a single day for comparison. So yeah, the, the, I don't blame the people who questioned us. They just couldn't see what we could see. They didn't believe what we believed. And they were not on this mission to change the education system the way we're trying to. So I, I would just put that out there for everyone to understand. Nitty, back over to you.
Well, so now I'm curious, right? Like, so now as you look at the future, is there anything that would cause you to pivot again? Or are you in a stage now where it's like, this is it, we're staying the course on this? Like, would it take some massive disruption to the educational market for you to change course again? Or what would that be? Because I think people are probably wondering, well, how do you know when something is, um, you know, warranting that shift? Uh, so I wonder what that would be for you. Like, what would convince you to to do something different at this stage? You mean like to enter a whole different field again? Yeah, to like to do another. If you if you were ever, and I can't imagine you doing this, but just hypothetically speaking, is there anything that could happen outside of just a catastrophic shift in the market that would convince you to do something else? Um. Okay, so that's a really good question. I I don't think there would be. At this point, I don't, I, I, I have told people this and they're like, ah, stop talking like that. I, I think of my life as, uh, as a three act play or three act story. And I'm in the third act of a three act story. There's no fourth act. There's no sequel to the story. Um, when I talk about commitment and grit and all that kind of stuff, I really do mean it. I cannot see myself doing anything else except for to be a teacher. So it might not work at the scale in which I'm doing it right now. And I'm okay with that, but I'm, I'm ready to like, let this be the final title that I wear as a, as an educator, as one who tried to change the system. And I'm, I'm ready to go down with the ship. Now, luckily though, uh, through the previous 20 plus years of grinding it out, I have enough of a financial cushion that I don't need this to be a money-making venture. And in fact, it has not been a profitable company for us until last year. It has just been me making money, putting it right back in, uh, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, I, I don't want to admit this to a tax consultant or anything or the IRS, but you know we did siphon and use resources uh, from Blind in order to support the future because the future could not have survived given its revenue. So to put it into perspective, like Blind was occupying a 12,500 square foot building, which at current lease rates was probably three or $4 a square foot. So if you just do the math at $4 a square foot for a a 12,000 square foot building, we're talking about $48,000 in rent. And just the overhead, just the building itself, forget about maintenance, electricity, subscriptions, computers, and staff. Uh, so in we were burning more money in rent than we were making in an entire year. That's why I was like, yeah, this is not a way to get rich. And we used the equipment that we own from Blind to produce the videos. And we borrowed the team, which didn't make it on the books, so that we can run the future. And I want to make a point of something here. The thing that I told Mo during the call, and I made a much stronger point after the call on a one-to-one conversation with him is this, is get successful at doing something. Success opens more doors for you. If he can just get really good and get into the upper echelon, however you want to define that in terms of the people who do social video content, then build up a runway build up notoriety and expertise and everything that you want will start to open up and it won't have to be such a struggle. Well, you have money to hire people to help you. That'll free up your time so that you can read and study and attend workshops, travel the world and speak and work on this course. That's going to be really, really amazing. 
But furthermore, you have now social proof. You have empirical data to back up that you know how to make and run a successful company. And that's the funny thing about how humans work, right? We're heavily reliant on the information provided to us by others as whether or not we should trust an entity or not. We buy a car because it won the JD and Power Associates Award, a Motor Trend Car SUV of the Year, whatever it is. Whatever film critic says this is good, we're like, you know, it must be a decent film. But when you don't have that success because you've not stayed in the pocket long enough, you can't point to a single thing. This goes back to the empirical data. Do you have some form of success that you can point to to leverage that into your next venture? I find that successful people, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, they trade up on their experiences for bigger and better opportunities. You trade a small problem for a bigger problem that's more important and you keep trading it up. You work with a local mom and pop restaurant to trade up for a, uh, a national and then an international restaurant or, or a multi-chain franchise. You just trade up. And so from one point of view, you can look at this and say, well, what do you do? He kept switching gears and I really didn't. See, all of this stuff was built up on a foundation of design. That's what I studied in school. I parlayed that into motion design, which is just, you know, another discipline of design. And I did that for a number of years, for 20 plus years. And then I got into doing branding and brand strategy was going right back to my roots in design and my background in advertising. And when we go and make the future, what are we talking about? I'm making videos, which that's what I did for 20 years, talking about design, which I taught for 15 years, which is built on top of a four-year education studying design. 20 years practicing it. And then I overlapped that with entrepreneurship, which I was trained by my mentor for 13 years and running my company of practicing 20 plus years. So it wasn't really starting over. It wasn't pivoting out of this whole space. I have a friend who's great at doing SEO and now she wants to do coaching and she wants to do life coaching. Maybe those two things are related. I can't really see the connection there. But you see, like when you do that super hard pivot and you change the whole category, you're kind of starting from the bottom up again. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. Welcome back to our conversation. I think that's also the answer to how you've kept it fresh. Because you took something that you developed all that expertise in and found different applications that were going to be revenue generators. And I think that answers people's question because I know I've seen so many tweets as we've had this conversation around, you know, being able to really focus in, but finding the little nuggets and gems along the way and enjoying the process of getting to the goals eventually, right? Looking at that marathon versus the sprint. But I think we kind of cracked a little bit of a code here that it's not about, you know, pivoting so far away from what you've done, that it's a new foundation that you're laying. It's instead building the third floor and the fourth floor to the mansion that's based on the foundation that you've already laid in those 20 years prior. And I can imagine, Chris, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that kept it really fresh for you because going from, you know, uh, the, the motion design to the teaching, even if it's in the same thread, it's different skill sets that are exciting to get to learn and get to implement. So that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I really wanted to underline that for the audience in case they missed it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you're, you're absolutely right. So 
so here I'm going to go right back to Mo, right? If I am running my company and I'm making a name for myself and I'm exposed to the same problem over and over again, I see connections and I see patterns. Well, when I'm invited to teach and they give me the opportunity to teach, they're not telling me to teach juggling or breakdancing. I know nothing about those things. They're asking me to teach about the things I've developed efficiency and expertise over. See how that relates? And so we, we want to be in those places where we can write a book and where we can jump on stage and people are going to give us twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a pop to do public speaking. Why would they do that when you haven't actually achieved anything? Why would they do that? And this is my fear. My fear, there's a whole generation of people out there who are fake experts, who tell you that uh, they're... Uh, social media influencers, they run a social media marketing agency and they help people achieve greatness in social media. And then you look at their account and they got 15,000 followers. Like, what? Oh, I've run multiple businesses. How come I can't find a single one in any of your bio? That's the problem. You haven't done it. You haven't stuck it out. You almost have no proof. But here's the, the sad part is that there are a lot of desperate people out there who want to learn, who want to change. And so I think you talked about this earlier, Nitty. When you're in a state of desperation, this is not a good place to make decisions. Again, I'm going to refer over to my uh, my business coach here, who I've mentioned many times tonight. He still does coaching. If anybody wants to look him up, you can. Uh, he, he told me um, when he was younger, he was a lifeguard. He's like an athletic dude back when he was younger. He's a lifeguard. And one of the things you learn when your lifeguard is people make irrational decisions when they're drowning. He says most often people drown when they're only uh, like uh, arms reach away from the edge. And when they're near the edge, they panic, they swim out to the deeper end and that's how they drown. And so if you look at yourself, like I'm in a desperate situation, I don't have buy-in. I don't have the resources. I don't have the empirical data, the proof that I've done something before. I don't have a roadmap I don't have guardrails and parameters of what success looks like. I do not know what I'm willing to commit and where I know I've gone past the point of insanity. Kind of in a desperate position, friend. Mm, dang. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and you can't, you just can't be making the decisions from that standpoint. You have to get things in order. You have to ground yourself and really start thinking and strategizing through. Because if you're just grasping for straws, uh, I just think that that's the recipe for disaster, right? It's like, it, it, you know, that's I think that that's probably where a lot of businesses honestly fail is that they're so desperately trying to figure out what the solution could potentially be that they've never even asked themselves what the true problem is. And we hit on this a little bit last session too, Chris, that are we even asking the right questions when it comes to our business? Like we assume that the problem is one thing, but we haven't even really done the analysis to identify what is tanking right now. And so therefore, how can we identify the proper solution if we haven't even nailed down what it is that's causing the boat to sink? We haven't even discovered the hole in the bottom of the boat. We're just like, oh, oh, let me just like flounder around and jump out of the boat. Well, wait a minute. Have you even tried patching it up? Right. So I don't know. I, yes, I, I, yeah, I really appreciated what you shared there. Yeah. Thank you. And I think you're right. It's like when we don't have a plan, we don't know what the goal is. We don't. 
know how to get there. Every plan works. Everything looks good. All options are viable. And that's where we get all messed up. We get wrecked there. Okay. Sari, how do you want to contribute to this conversation? Thank you so much. I just, first of all, just really wanted to thank you for these discussions and the topics that you cover. Um, they're very, very valuable um, in the information you provide. So I just wanted to thank you so much. Um, my question is, it's, it's a little bit on, on what Evie was talking about earlier in um, the fear of success. I was curious about if I could glean from your minds strategies for somebody who's in a situation where um, they have a physical disability and it continues to sabotage um, the projects that they work on and the jobs that they take on. And um, just to give you a little bit of a background, very brief, is that uh, I used to work at a university for about nine years and it was wonderful and really great experience, really great projects. Um, and then I had a physical um, and a health emergency that happened and it threw me out of the game for two years. Um, uh, my spine, I had an issue and I was nearly paralyzed and um, had to have spine surgery and all that. So got past that. And then I started to manage a shop and um, it was very successful. It was great. Um, but then again, I had another physical issue that happened because of my disability my lungs collapsed just randomly um, that's the kind of problems that happen and so that threw me out a bit and so now I'm in a situation where I am teaching digital art online and it is very successful and I am jam-packed full of students I teach live and it's a lot of fun but now I find again I'm at the point where my body's starting to break down and I'm afraid there's going to be another emergency situation. So I was wondering if, if you had come across, you know, similar situations where um, there's good strategies put in place that can help kind of keep things going while I'm laid up or like um, kind of like backup plans as far as ideas for what one in my situation could do. Nitty, do you want to tackle this one? I will do my best. And I just really appreciate you um, for sharing because I, I can only imagine what it's like to have to go through you know, two and potentially three different bouts of this. And so I just really appreciated your share. I just wanted to say, I don't consider this self-sabotage. What you described isn't what I would consider self-sabotage because ultimately, you know, if, you're, if your body is, um, you know, struggling, I don't think that that's something to feel ashamed about, right? Now, what I am hearing you say is, well, let me ask you a question, actually. Do you feel like some of these um, instances where, you know, uh, you've had these health concerns, is it related to stress and is it related to um, being able to find some sort of work-life integration? Am, am I fair for, for thinking that might be a contributing factor? Sarah? Yes, absolutely. Uh, stress, stress does seem to trigger it. And... Um, and, and so what ends up happening is I pivot to something else that seems like it might be more physically easier to do. Um, and so now I'm, I'm working online, but then again, you know, whenever I do something, I put everything into it. So um, I'm wearing myself out again. 
Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. So, so then this is something that um, I think touches on uh, a piece of the conversation that we've had this evening, which is being able to adapt your business uh, to incorporate some of the opportunities for self care and a little bit of a different balance. So, I wonder if there are uh, opportunities leading up to some of these flare ups where your body is starting to signal to you that, oh man, I'm having aches and pains, or geez, the exhaustion is really taking hold. And I always uh, find that when we're able to address things on the onset and on the buildup, it's much easier to do the prevention than it is to do, uh, you know, the, the work to reverse it once it's in motion, right? So, uh, some things that have worked for me, um, and you know, I I have uh, I'm immunocompromised myself. Definitely a different situation, but I can just speak from my own experience that I've also gotten to a place of exhaustion and burnout um, to where I was nearly hospitalized uh, for pneumonia uh, multiple times, and it was my body's way of telling me that you know, I'm shutting you down. Like we can't continue doing this. And it's a very real concern, I think, where we push ourselves to that breaking point. Um, But what I discovered as I reflected on that experience um, and worked through with my therapist too, was that there were a lot of missed cues along the way um, that actually leading up to that, I had uh, that physical exhaustion, that feeling of tiredness. Um, I noticed that my, my body was reacting in really poor manner to the stress that I was experiencing. But even despite that information, I didn't have the self-awareness to be able to make the pivot. So what I would encourage you to do is to kind of think about are there opportunities for me to create a little bit more balance here um, where I can recognize that I'm starting to approach this place and then have the opportunity to make a different choice and pull back and take good care of yourself and be able to replenish your your tank Um, because we don't want you to get to a place where you're burning out and you're getting sick and you're getting hospitalized. And I really don't want anybody in the audience to think that, you know, we should be grinding and that any uh, goal is worth us um, getting ill. I really don't, I don't agree with that. I think we should push ourselves. I think that there is importance and grit, but I also think that there's a line that we cross where it starts to become detrimental. And I personally don't think that any goal is worth, um, you know, your mental health or your physical health suffering. So that was a bit long winded, but I hope that that was helpful. Thank you. It really, really was. Um, yeah, I've, I wanted to ask that because I'm at this a point where I am about to hire somebody on to help manage uh, the workload. Um, but because of, you know, a fear of history repeating, I don't want to be in a situation where I feel the need to pivot again um, because of bringing somebody on and the responsibility to her um, for, you know, income. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very, very helpful. I really, really appreciate it. Stay the course and just shift the way that you're organizing the time and allowing yourself to build in during the season of your business just a little bit more of a um, of a break, right? So that way you prevent that cycle from repeating. You have a choice to be able to break that cycle, especially if you're noticing that pattern. So I think there's a great opportunity here and um, I, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully getting an update and um, wishing you all the best. Thank you. Up next is, um, is it or? Go ahead. Or. Okay, go ahead. So I think my question or conversation is basically centered around when to know when to pivot to stop and keep going. Because with myself, I figure out that I sh- struggle with this a lot because I keep saying, well, 
you know, maybe there's a light in the tunnel, keep digging, there's a diamond. But then at the end of the day, I'm listening to your conversation with Nitty. I'm seeing that you guys are talking about where there's a point where you have to be sane and say, well, I don't think this is working out. Let me pivot and do something else. And I'm saying this because I decided to quit my job with no runway. <laughs> I didn't think about that at all and start my own agency. And it's almost taken me a year before things actually started to move and look like, you know, it's going to work out. But it was like for those first, first 12 months, it was just me feeling like I was going insane. But it, it was like, it kind of worked out. But it's like, when do you really know that this is really not working? You should pivot. Wait, so what was the question? When, like, when do you know, like, that you're, you're, whatever goal you're trying to achieve is really not working out and you should pivot? Because, like, Needy was like, well, you really shouldn't keep going if something's not working out. But there, there's the concept of, you know, the old motivational thing you're going where, you know, don't quit, keep going, work it out. But it's like when you know that, well, this is really not working out for me, maybe I should stop what I'm doing right now and right. pivot. It can be very difficult to know when you're in the moment. And what, what I would say to you is this, just very broadly speaking, because I'm going to move on to the next person here, is you have a goal. And when I say pivot, I don't mean to pivot and change your goal. I just mean to pivot and change your approach. If this approach isn't working, try a different approach. And I'm just throwing it back to uh, be firm with your goals, be flexible with your approach. And and that's all I can say to that. So it, it would seem insane to keep doing something and not see any progress whatsoever. And if the data is telling you new plan, you should not ignore that. But if your life changes, um, if you have uh, some kind of dramatic life changes and your goals change and they're not no longer in alignment, that's the one time where I'm like, okay, revisit that goal. That, that goal is no longer important to you. You're, you're more mature. You're in a different headspace. Go ahead and do that. But, but please, uh, the best way you can do this is to have a plan, to make a commitment. Uh, in five years, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to quit no matter what. Uh, and these are the guardrails. I will spend 25% of my savings. I will spend 100% of my savings. And when you get close to that, you have to just stop because you've given yourself the best shot of success and it doesn't look like you're going to achieve it. You got to change. All right. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome, man. Okay. Last but not least, uh, let's see who this is. Mariano. Mariano, just come in strong. Finish this off for us, please. Hey, Chris. Hey, Needy. And hey to all the audience. Uh, first of all, um, I've been stuck for a long time. Um, I just want to say to all the audience and all the people hearing this, don't quit. No, don't quit. Just change the approach. Just keep going. But don't even think about quitting because it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of pressure up your, by yourself. But the things will will come um, on that job and that work and the salary is going to come. Um, I mean, I've been stuck for a long time. I've been switching jobs for a long time and doing things I haven't remotely think I could do. But up to now, I'm working uh, as a project manager in a marketing company in, in the U.S. remotely. I'm from Argentina. And I think my boss with, with, the, with the last job he, he gave me he unstopped me, and I really appreciate what he had done for me because it's not just about the job. It's about that he changed the way I was thinking about 
all these things. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Mariano, for sending us that message that I think has reinforced some of the things that we've been talking about tonight. Um, uh, I just want to wrap now and to thank Nitty. This was a, a great conversation and I'm just appreciative, uh, Chris, that you've um, allowed me to collaborate with you so much here. Thank you so much. I do appreciate you joining us. And with that, I bid you adieu and good night. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.